0: hey y'all so check it check it check it check it out i just came across a new clothing line that is amazing it is jupiter's art this is a clothing line for non-binary people right so the clothes are genderless, and uh, they are also sustainable. Um, There's carbon offset, and they don't add anything negative to the environment. And they're also um, an ethical company with fair pay for their employees, and they welcome uh, anyone in the spectrum of LGBT and race. It is owned by people of color, and they deserve your attention. You can find Jupiter's Art on Instagram, on TikTok, and you can search for them on Google and find the website. It is amazing. Check it, check it, check it out. Wait till you see this jacket. Oh my God. It it is amazing. Y'all, you got to peep it. Jupiter's art. Check it. Hey y'all, your fam, Black Fluid Poet. Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers um, see that um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I, I, I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a 1,000 subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because, yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care. Hey, y'all. You ever heard of an amazing young woman by the name of Zinzi Smith? Well, I have. And her and I had... Just an amazing conversation on Beyonce's internet. I will have you know that 20-year-old Zinze Smith has her own black woman-owned business for an entire year now teaching spin classes. And let me tell you, she's enthusiastic. She wants the world to know that she's ready to help you shed them pounds from Thanksgiving and Christmas and help you keep up with that New Year's resolution that all of us middle-aged people like to make while we're still making them. So I, for one, am going to try and take one of her classes, just $15 for an online class with Zinzi Smith. She also teaches in person in studios in Brooklyn and in Queens and NYC. And all around, I got to tell you, I am just in awe of her. So you can reach out to her on Spin With Zin, that's Spin With Z-I-N on TikTok and on Instagram. And let her know that you heard it here on Black Fluid Poets Podcast and you trying to shed them pounds and keep up that New Year's resolution, you feel me? So give her a shout out. Let me know how it went. Hey y'all, this Black Fluid Poet, aka John S. Blake, coming to you from the pandemic paradise that is my humble abode of books. And tonight I'm thinking about so many things, but most of all I'm thinking about staying positive, which I have to say has been difficult. But being positive doesn't necessarily mean feeling happy, it's more like being hopeful. Things could be going wrong and I could still feel hopeful. And the only reason why feeling hopeful comes to me naturally, I think it has a lot to do with just seeing history, seeing so many people triumph and overcome their obstacles, especially being black, especially being queer. I think that I've just seen over the decades how much marginalized people have struggled. No matter what happened, they came out on top. Now, we're not anywhere near where we want to be. Malcolm X said, if you stick a nine-inch blade in my back and pull it out six inches, that ain't progress. But maybe another inch. I think I also feel so much positivity because I've seen so much beauty in other people. Not in everyone. And when I'm in a dark place. It's definitely not in the people that I focus on at that time. But I couldn't have made it this far without strangers. And I do mean strangers, people who I didn't even know their middle or last name coming through at a time of need. I think this is why I believe so much in the collective. I believe that miracles happen through people And the more people that I have in my life, the more possibility there is for a miracle to occur. I've found that when I'm isolating, I'm running away from that collective. I'm running away from the help I could receive. I believe that love is the ultimate higher power. People give it a lot of different names. But you don't experience love until you're part of the collective, until we as a whole are together. And I think about how wonderful the world would be if that happened. If no matter where I went, I received love. And it's not the most realistic way to look at things, but that's the big picture. It's part of my personality. I'm always focused on how great things could be or will be. And then I do the footwork in the present, you know? It's the little things like, you know, grabbing my neighbor's garbage on my way to the dumpster or uh, just saying good morning. Saying good morning is so important. Greeting people, I think it's just essential. Now, I didn't learn that growing up in New York City But it did come naturally to me. My mother was always telling me to stop trying to talk to strangers. I was always talking to people. I've made friends in some of the weirdest positions, some of the weirdest places during the weirdest events and occurrences. I don't know what it is, but maybe you're like me. You're one of those people who someone will say to you, I feel like I could tell you anything. I get that a lot. And I guess there is something about me that is pretty open. And to be honest, if I'm being completely honest, there's also something about me that doesn't have much boundaries. I don't I don't prevent people from dumping on me. I just see it as an honor to be there for somebody in their darkest times. I don't know why that is. I've just always been that way. I can't. I refuse to walk away from somebody when they're hurting. You know, one time I was, I went to do a poetry reading in Seattle. And uh, during the day the buses were free and it was a rainy, kind of chilly day. So I jumped on this bus for no apparent reason other than to avoid the rain. And I sat down next to a woman. And I didn't notice at first, but then I noticed she was crying and I leaned in because, you know, the bus was loud. It was crowded. And I said, are you okay? And this woman turned to me and she said, no, but thank you so much. And I don't know why, but I was—I said to her, do, do you need to go have a cup of coffee? Do you want to go talk or something? Like, I just, I didn't want her to think I was just being polite. I wanted her to know that I really... Wanted her In my heart of hearts to be okay And she looked at me And she hugged me So tight And she was She was a big woman man I mean like her body filled up in my arms When I hugged her back And when she was hugging me She said I don't have any more T cells I have AIDS now And I said to her, and I don't know where, this is This is what I mean by I know love is a higher power. Because I didn't have anything to say at that moment. All I said was, but you and I got right now. We got right now. And maybe another 10 minutes in, we were laughing up a storm and talking, and I was like, how the fuck do you people live in Seattle? These fucking hills and this rain, oh my God. And we're busting out, la- I mean, belly aching, face hurting, laughing on this bus. Other people on the bus started listening in and laughing with us. And they were all laughing at my New York accent and me bitching about Seattle. And I'm like, no wonder the fucking grunge band's all dressed like shit. There's no reason to get dressed up out here. Everything is soaked. Everybody's damp. Everybody has, you know... You can't style your hair. That's why all the, all the grunge rockers, their hair is just laying flat down. Because What else are you going to do out here in the rain? And we're all just dying on this bus. And she had to get off and she gave me a hug and she said, you're right, we had right now. And uh, I offered her my number. She's like, no, no, that's okay. But thank you so much. And she got off the bus. And that that phrase didn't come from me. That's nothing I would ever say to somebody, you and I, we got right now. Where did, and after I said it, I remember thinking, where the hell did that come from? And I remember reading a book called Conversations with God, and it's, uh, the author is writing a question to God and then writing God's response. And it was kind of like a free-write contemplation experience for him. And in the question to God, he said, how do I know when it's your will? And in the response was, it'll be the most absurd idea you have. All the other ideas won't surprise you because they're your own. But that absurd idea, that's how you know it's my will. And I think about the times when there's been an absurd idea or an absurd statement. When I said to my son, who I abandoned when he was about three or four and I have a lot of guilt and shame still about that. I'm still working through that. But I just had a conversation with him the other day. And we were just discussing science and, you know, uh, mental illness and, you know, the struggles in society for people on the spectrum and people being uh, divergent. And he gave me this eloquent to to what he thinks about the whole situation and I said God you're brilliant like you are just brilliant I am so grateful for your existence and he said I'm half you be grateful for you and I said where the hell did that come from he said you know I don't even know <laughs> and that was that moment that was that moment of Absurdity. That was love. I remember in New York City at the Hugh Mann bookstore in Harlem, which I hope to this day is still standing. Shout out to gentrification. Um, I waited in line to speak with Saul Williams. And... I insisted on being the last in line because I was going to have a conversation with this great poet, this great philosopher. And uh, he was signing his book, and I got a book, and he signed it, and I said, "Um, I have to ask you something. And he said, sure. I said, "Uh, do you ever worry that your poetry is too deep and too entrenched in metaphor for people to keep up with you? And you talk about absurdity right right off the hip, without a breath, this man said to me, no, I don't even think that's possible because although we all like to think we're drinking from separate wells, if we dig deep enough within ourselves, you'll find we're all sharing the same water source. Right? Even though we'd like to think we're drinking from separate wells... When we dig inside ourselves deep enough, we'll discover we're all sharing the same water source. I walked away from that very brief conversation, enlightened. And I remember when I got outside, (laughs) my friend said, what did he say? What would you guys talk about? And I said, "I, I can't talk right now. Like I was quiet for about an hour. And I thought about all the different random people I had met in my life up until that point. And how at those moments we were sharing the same water source, like that woman on the bus. People that I've met in bars across the country, just having a regular conversation and then unbeknownst to either one of us we became friends I met a guy in Oklahoma City and we shared a couple of drinks we shared a couple of laughs and he's my friend to this day that was about 14 years ago I was there when his mom died And we talked, he's Cuban, and we talked about, he lived in Florida, of all places. I was, at the time, I think I was uh, 14 years ago, I think I had just moved to Virginia from New York City. And we converged on this bar in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and became best friends. Now he lives in L.A., and I'm living in Albuquerque. And we stay in touch. We talk to each other at least once or twice a week. And we're growing old together as friends, you know. I didn't know that it would mean that much to either one of us the first time we talked. But I remember he was so gentle. He was so positive. And at the time I was... I was still drinking. I was pretty deep into my alcoholism and my addiction. And I remember being so annoyed. And I remember calling him Pollyanna. I was like, oh, God. Like, yo, but there's all this love in the world. And he laughed and he laughed. And he said, you know what? One day you're going to understand, brother. One day you're going to understand. And I laughed with him. And we had a couple more drinks. And that was it. And we found each other on social media. And just the other day, I was talking... I sent him uh, something. He's a he's a musician. His name is Matthew Cuban Hernandez. And he's an amazing hip-hop artist. And uh, I sent him a TikTok video I did with his music in the background. And people were loving the music and asking me who the artist was. And so I, I sent him uh, the clip, the TikTok. And I also sent him a picture of the comments, you know. And he said, I really needed this today. I was feeling so invisible. And it's funny how that happens. How sometimes I'm feeling so empty in some area of my life, whether it has to do with acceptance or open-mindedness or, you know, self-love. And I'll bump into somebody, whether through social media or in the physical, and... The person that I bump into will be full of that acceptance and full of that self love or full of that open mindedness, and they'll say the right thing at the right moment, and just my whole day will take a turn because of it. God, I love those moments! I love those moments. I remember, I remember sitting on a curb, I was flat, broke, I was jonesing and detoxing it was a long time ago and I'm sitting on this curb it was the middle of summer I think I was in Phoenix, Arizona and it was child when I say the middle of summer that place the heat was on hell I don't know what Arizona's thermostat was on that July but it had to be about 112 degrees and I ran out of money and I'm sitting on this curb and this elderly black woman walked by me And she was humming a tune, like she had just come out of church. And to tell you the truth, I don't know what day it was. It could have been a Sunday afternoon. And she walked by. She said, how you doing, baby? And I said, well, you know, I'm alive. And as she walks by, she said, a lot of people can't say that. And then she kept walking. Didn't turn back and wait for a response. Just kept walking. I don't even know what direction she went in. By the time I lifted my head, she was gone. But I do remember, I started to think that my life must have had purpose. I've done every dumb thing I could do to try and take my life, slowly, quickly or otherwise, somewhere in the middle. But I've always managed to still stay here and keep breathing. There's a lot of people that can't say that. And it was, she was talking to me. My dad died of AIDS when I was 25, 26. My mom died of osteomyelitis that she contracted in prison. She was dead by the time I was 33. My oldest brother, Benny, froze to death in... 1985 I want to say I was a teenager I remember we had this friend Caesar who used to hang out with us he he passed away from the virus as well back in the 80s and I think about all the people who touched my life in one way or another that are no longer here and I feel like I feel like I owe them. Sometimes I'm positive because I owe the people that took time away from living their life on their own to be there for me at times when I've needed love. I have to celebrate that. I have to acknowledge the fact that I wouldn't be where I am if people didn't sacrifice The time it takes to have a short conversation. The absurdity of strangers who, you know what, here, I'll give you a ride. Or here, here's money for gas. No, you'll stay at my house tonight. The strangers who, you know what, let me make a phone call. I know a guy who's hiring right now. And they get you a job. Or someone who just... They see you hurting on a park bench, a subway, in your car. And maybe you don't share your life with them, but they'll just come up to you and say, are you all right? Are you okay? And whether I tell them I am or I'm not, whether I even respond, that's God. God. That's love. That's the universe checking in on me, using other people. I'll tell you an amazing story. First, I'm going to light this cigarette. I've met some pretty famous people in my life. But let me tell you who left a serious impact on me and showed me what it means to have humility. Malcolm Jamal Warner once heard me perform a poem at the New Eureka Poets Cafe in New York City, Lower East Side of Manhattan. Shout out to the New Yo. And I didn't even know he was there. And he, when I got done performing this poem about my my brother Benny um, dying of hypothermia. He got up out of his seat, wiped the tears out of his eyes, and gave me a hug. And while he was hugging me, he said, you're going places. And I remember a part of me giggled. I had tears in my eyes, too. I just performed this poem. But I remember a part of me giggled, going places, because in my head I'm thinking, the only place I'm going after this is to go get high and get drunk. Because at that time, I was at my worst. I was was a homeless, almost homeless addict. I was staying in an apartment in Jersey City, and I didn't even know where I was going to get next month's rent from. He said, you're going places. I'm going to tell everybody about you when I get back to California. And, you know, I thought it was a beautiful thing to say. I didn't think anything was really going to come of it. Then about, I don't know, two, maybe three weeks later, you know, and I shared the experience, of course. Told my roommates about it. And they were like, oh, that was really cool. I'm like, yeah, it was cool. You know, I I really didn't think he would get, I figured he'd forget all about me once he left the New Year that night. And uh, about two weeks later, um, I get an email. Somebody who, was talking to Malcolm. They wanted me to perform. Now, you got to get ready for this because this is the collective, right? They wanted me to perform in Fresno, California. I had never been at that time to the West Coast. I don't think I ever really left the tri-state area of New York City, New Jersey, and Connecticut, like that area. I, I don't think I had ever left. And... They asked me, you know, would you perform? And I said, uh, sure, you know, yeah, great. Uh, Yeah, I'll give it a shot. You know, they were going to give me a little money, not a lot, but um, they gave me a hotel for that night. And then I hung up the phone. (laughs) And I said, uh, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And my roommate said, what do you mean? I said, I just got invited to perform in Fresno, California. He said, okay, great. I said, I ain't got no money to get to California. (laughs) And my roommate looked at me and uh, he said, you have to go. You have to go. He said, "I, I don't know why, but something in me, you have to go. And he gave me his last $200. And he ordered me a plane ticket with it. He had $200 left to his name. And the plane ticket to Oakland, California, I believe, from, from New York, was $185 one way. Couldn't even afford the round trip. And I was like, okay, all right. you know. So the time comes to leave, and I go, and I get on this plane, and I get to Oakland. And I figure once I get to Oakland, there's a train or a bus or something that'll get me to this Fresno. I don't know where the hell Fresno is. And I get to Oakland. There is no motherfucking way to Fresno, California, from Oakland. I remember jumping on a computer at the airport at that time, and I got on MySpace. That's this is how long ago this was. I got on MySpace and I told I just shared you know you in know a, in a, I put up a post. that said anybody heading to Fresno from Oakland, I gotta get to Fresno, and I remember I had to be in Fresno in about four hours, and some woman that knew me on facebook and read my poetry said i'm headed to modesto to see some family i'm actually in oakland right now i'll pick you up at the airport i'll drop you in fresno and then i'll drive over to modesto and i'm like oh wow all right thank you and she said have you eaten and I was embarrassed because I didn't have any money to eat. All, all the money went to this plane ticket. That was it. And I said, uh, no, I haven't. She said, okay, well, I'll pick you up some food. And I get in the car. And, you know, she bought me some McDonald's and I eat, I eat and, you know, we're, we're driving. And I said, so, you know, how far is it? She said, it's about three hours. And I said, what? She said, yeah, this is California. It's a big state. This woman went out of her way to drive me three hours to Fresno, California. And I do mean out of her way. She had to drive past Modesto to get me to Fresno. And I couldn't thank her enough. And she drops me right off where I have to be. And I perform that night and uh, stay at the, the motel that night and I didn't have any way home so after the poetry event where you know I performed people at the bar put up a collection to get me bus fare to get back to Jersey to Jersey City and I mean I didn't ask I didn't make it public I told one person I said I don't know if I'm getting home I'll figure it out you know always always I'll figure it out next thing you know people came up to me with a Big ass coffee can full of money, and it was about three hundred and something dollars. But then another another wonderful thing happened. One of the people who heard me perform that night was running a venue in Berkeley, California. And they said, "Well, why don't you come up to Berkeley on this night, and why don't you perform for us? And you know, you'll get paid for that." And I was like, well, "Where the hell is Berkeley?" And that's find out that's all the way back by Oakland. And I'm like, oh, "I don't, I don't even know if I could do that." And another woman who was there said, well, you could crash with me. I'm, I'm in Santa Cruz. You can stay with me and, and perform in Berkeley and then, you know, I'll get you to the airport. And I said, okay. And then about 15 minutes later, somebody else who heard me perform asked me if I would be a feature poet at a reading in San Jose. And it was like the night before Berkeley. So I said, sure, and I was going to do that. And uh, so I go up to Santa Cruz and I'm staying with this friend and, um, I, go to Berkeley and perf- I go to San Jose and perform. I go to Berkeley and perform. And then after I'm done in Berkeley, we go back to Santa Cruz. And I stay that night. And then the next day, you know, I was going to hop a Greyhound and start heading back east. When I get a phone call from the people in Fresno, they want to know if I'll stay an extra week and open up and perform for Saul Williams and Suhair Hamad. And I said, what, are you serious? And they said, yeah, there's so many people who are still talking about your performance. We'd love for you to come and, you know, perform before Saul Williams and Suhair Hamad. And I need to tell you, just before I took this trip to Oakland to get to Fresno, to get to Berkeley, to get to San Jose, to get back to Santa Cruz, I had had that conversation with Saul Williams, and then ran into Malcolm Jamal Warner that same night. This was that well. So I open up, I I go to back to Fresno about a week later, and I perform for Saul Williams, and um, for Saul Williams and Suhair Ahmad. But before the performance that night, I'm having a conversation with someone just outside the venue, And I hear, hey, John, and I turn around, it's Saul Williams. The man remembered me. I said, how do you know my name? He said, well, I remember talking to you in Harlem. We talked about metaphors and, you know, people drinking from separate wells. He remembered the whole conversation. And could I tell you, I had never felt more significant I had never felt more embraced and more loved than this well-known, very busy man who must have met hundreds of people that day. And he remembered our conversation verbatim. And just before the performance, there must have been about a 1,000 people there. And I was so nervous. I met Suhair Hamad, who by the way is just, Brilliant and breathtaking in her presence, and a strong activist. Shout out to Palestine, and I'm I'm just in awe of these two people. And I remember saying to them, "I am so scared." And by this point, I had gotten clean. I was no longer uh, shooting heroin. I was still drinking at the time, but I was no longer shooting heroin. And I said, "I don't know if I could do this." And Suhair Hamad said, this isn't hard. You know what's hard? Kicking dope. That's hard. You got this. And Saul turned to me and said, do you know why you think you can't do this? And I said, why? He said, because you can't do this. And I kind of looked at him sideways like, "Uh, dude, you're not helping. (laughs) And he said, you don't do this. Do you really think all this poetry and all these loving words come from you? They come from out there. They go through you and out to the people. It's got nothing to do with you. You're actually in the way of these cosmic things happening right now. What you need to do is accept that it's going to happen and be open to it. And I was calm, man. I was calm. And so... I opened for Saul Williams. And I didn't have any merchandise to sell. And it was a beautiful performance. Saul did an amazing job. Suhair was absolutely magnificent. And then after the performance, everyone was standing in line um, to buy merch, merchandise from Suhair and from Saul. And I didn't have any merchandise. Well, don't you know, the woman who had asked me to perform in Fresno that uh, week earlier had taken my poems off of MySpace, where I had them posted, And had them made into chapbooks. And she had a hundred chapbooks there for me. And so I was signing my name to chapbooks. So the first time in my life I was signing my name to something. It was just, that whole thing blew me away. And then at some point, I ran out of chapbooks. And this young girl came up to me. She was probably about maybe 12, anywhere between 10 and 13. And she said, you don't have any more books, but could you sign this matchbook cover? And I looked at her and her mom was standing in the background. Her mom was crying. And I said, sure. And I signed my name to it and gave it to her. And she gave me this big hug. Like she just, God, like I got emotional just from feeling her hug. And then I kind of tilted her head back to look at her and she was crying. And I said, you okay? What's going on? And her mom came up to us. Now, Saul Williams is standing just to my right. Hare is just a little further over from there. And the mom says, we lost her dad um, about four days ago. He overdosed on heroin. And my daughter remembered your poetry about heroin addiction and losing your brother from last week. And she knew you were coming here tonight. And it's really the only thing that's held her together for the last week. And I remember Saul had actually stopped talking to who he was talking to just to my right and looked over at me and said, do you understand now? And the tears were rolling down my face and Suhair goes, wow. And that was it, that was it. That was that moment of absurdity Whatever was out in the universe, call it God, call it love. My roommate saying, I don't know why, but you need to get to California. And gives me his last $200. Me running into Saul Williams just prior to that. And him telling me, we'd like to think that we're drinking from separate wells. But if we dig deep enough in ourselves, we're all sharing the same water source. And Malcolm Jamal Warner saying, I'm going to talk about you when I get back to California. All of those things happened. Just to hold this girl together for five days. That was the only reason all of it happened. That was why the universe kept me in California. That was why I was able to have that conversation with Saul Williams at that bookstore. That was why, whatever came over Malcolm Jamal Warner to show up at the New Eureka that night, that's why he showed up. Because the universe and love and the collective subconsciously knew this girl was going to need these poems that week. It's absurd. I could not have planned that better. No one could have predicted all those events happening just to hold a teenage girl together who was missing her father. Just my thoughts for today. Remember to love yourself.